This 2020 COVID season of footy is surprisingly more than a third of a way through its completion and the Premiership race is shaping up as one of the most open in recent times, for fairly obvious reasons. It's now the Bombers and the Blues who are Premiership dark horses, while the power is still on at Ken Hinckley's celebratory house party for one. Geelong and the Magpies are back in the running whilst Richmond is breaking footy all over again. Teams are flip-flopping week to week, and so to help me try and straighten out the form lines is the king of COVID himself, Big Bustling Baz. How's life in isolation, mate? Struggling for motivation and with life and with everything at the moment. It's a bit, uh, a bit flat with COVID, this whole second lockdown, and there might be even further lockdowns, who knows? But it's uh, interesting times, but there's people out there a lot worse off than you or myself. So yep. just chin up and uh, keep trying along that. Yeah, 100% agree, and we'll do just that. Our first segment is, of course, Coach's Corner. Do something! Do! Don't think! Think! Don't hope! Everyone's really upset with the state of footy. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about a tactical point of view, though. So my question to you, Super Coach Baz, or man formerly known as the Super Coach, is do the shorter quarters actually matter? Do you think teams are playing different types of footy because of 16-minute quarters, not 20-minute quarters? I don't really think that. So, no. It might um, be a bit more defensive for longer, I suppose, because it keeps in the game for longer. I think that's what Sydney were trying to do on the weekend and they did it pretty well, um, given the, the people that had in the park or the players that had in the park. I don't think you should adapt your game style for timing. So, for instance, we don't play, in the 19, we don't play with time on. We play 25 and a quarters flat out. So, it doesn't really change anything going from that to finals when you do play with time on. Probably the only thing you, you do change a little bit is during the season, if it's a tight game, you can time wise a bit easier, but you can't leave really the that for you. So I don't reckon they would be playing any different. Uh, I just think it's the way some teams are trying to keep possession of the footy a bit more to stop other teams from scoring and, and uh, trying to minimise turnovers because teams find it very easy to score from turnovers because you're out of position a lot of the time. So I think um, teams have finally adapted to the 6-6-6 rule. Teams have started to finally, um, yeah, get around that. I suppose go go back to the way it was before the six six. A lot of teams are playing with that spare behind the footy or playing with two behind the footy. So um, they're trying to be kept more careful with the footy, and that's probably what we're resulting in with the shorter quarters. And obviously, the shorter quarters mean lower scoring, and everyone's just we've spoken about this plenty of times. Everyone's just throwing. The, probably the bathwater out of the baby over one game. I think that's probably the right expression to use, mate. I don't know. Uh, baby, what, baby out with the bathwater. You don't throw babies out yeah, of the bathwater. I'm sorry, well, tonight. Um, over two, probably two games on the weekend that went up the scratch. I, I thought the other game was pretty exciting and pretty well played. And even even with, you know, the, as boring as the Richmond Sydney game was, it was a good game of tactics, you know. And, um, the funny thing was because Harwick went so hard at John Longmire, Longmire on uh, on Sunday was got to see all the down ground vision, all the all the frames of you know how they both set up. So uh, I think just John Longmire was just trying to counter the Richmond style, which they like to outnumber at the source at the footy, and he's like, "All right, we're going to let them, um, you know, outnumber us at the footy. We're going to set up behind the ball, and if they want to, you know, rush kick it or not try and handball it or." move the ball down by you know, linking up, then we're going to get the footy back. And then, unfortunately, with John Longmire, his players, whether they didn't have the, the confidence in their forwards or uh, it was a, I don't think it was a directive because some of the ground, uh, down the ground vision we saw last night on the couch, you could see Papley and I think it was uh, Blake. And even in the Hawthorne game, they were pretty much, they, they played a very similar style as well. You can see the forwards cracking the shit. So... You know, flapping their arms up, asking why we didn't move it quick enough. So I think it's a bit of players scared of making a mistake, um, not wanting to turn over the ball and probably not playing with that that bit of freedom. I think you look at Port Adelaide, uh, even Gold Coast, St Kilda, you know, even though St Kilda lost on the weekend and even to a certain extent Collingwood for a quarter and a bit on the on the weekend is you know, the players play with it. Yeah, they've got they got restraints around them, around the you know, game style and and uh, setups and that sort of stuff. But also give them a bit of freedom just to play, mm. back, their, back their ability. I think you slept with Isaac Quainer and uh, on on you know he got the footy in positions where he knew he could run and break the line. He just went and did it. I think it's just 
coaches probably coach a bit too much tactically instead of giving players a bit of freedom to express themselves over the words. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that obviously we've said this a couple of times already this season that the teams that are winning football regularly, the teams that are playing attractive 40 in inverted commas. And so it's no surprise that those teams are on top of the ladder and those teams are doing well. But also you mentioned there that obviously because of that, the tete-a-tete between uh, Hardwick and Longmire, we've got to see the down the ground vision. Do you think these more dour games would be more interesting to fans if fans got better coverage? And so if coaches were allowed to be honest or if pundits were asking more insightful questions about, you know, why did you do that? Why drop a man behind the ball? Please explain the X's and O's. Would that become a more interesting thing for fans to dive into or is it more the sack it has to be simple like more goals equals better games I mean we both watch American football we both watch baseball and stuff and they they dive into the stats the areas where uh, why they've got the shifts on for certain players and they go into the percentages and all that sort of stuff and I reckon if if there's a football show a bit more like the couch and they went a bit more in depth or they had players and coaches on you know we had Walking you the other week speak about how Brisbane counted um, the stoppages from Prelade where they were getting beaten in the first quarter and he got in a bit of trouble for that because he, you know, whatever reason it was, he got in trouble for saying all that sort of stuff. Um, for me, I reckon it would be great if, if you if you were able to explain and go through like they did on the couch and there's a few photos and um, pictures and stuff like that on Twitter as well where they highlighted where players are standing and how they were standing. If you had experts or John Longmire or, or Harwick come out and say, you know, this is what we're doing here, this is what we're doing there, then, you know, or even just have experts do it because obviously coaches won't come out and do it and say it so they're going to give away something they don't want to give away. But for me, I think everyone, I've said this plenty of times, everyone plays pretty much the same sort of style or the same sort of setup. So they have little variations, but it's basically the same. It's just they might make one or two moves a game, but, but it won't. I won't do that move the next week because it might not work against that team or who mm. line up. So why they can't explain it or go through it is beyond me and yeah, more NFL style analysis, you know, with the run patterns and lead patterns and sort of stuff as well would be good because and the down ground vision, they you know, they talk about Collingwood over using the footy the other week and they started crapping on about, you know, Mason Cox and, and uh my check not not presenting, but when they show the down the ground vision, they were in perfect positions in one on ones, just that the time of players didn't kick it to them for whatever reason it was, whether they two didn't back the forward in to take the mark or bring the ball to ground, or, or because they wanted to keep possession for as long as possible, like I said, to try and limit a turnover so they get scored against them. So, yeah, but I reckon coaches definitely, players and all that sort of stuff should be definitely going through it more often. Yeah, yeah, and that's just, yeah, that's the easiest way to get. A, a greater chance of, of entertainment value for the viewer is to educate them on what they're watching. And then it doesn't have to be simple. It can be complex and complicated and in, in depth. And then people will be like, yes, I actually understand what's going on. And that is quite, quite interesting because as you've seen in your own coach's box and being exposed to the VFL level as well, it actually is quite a complex little world out there. So the more we teach people, the better they get, but we can only hope for that to happen. Uh, speaking of good and bad games, let's get into our second segment. What just happened? The big wins and bad beats of round six. And then as I had the pleasure of trying to move house during uh, a lockdown, so that was quite stressful. And I had to come in and out of football games. So you're going to have to talk to me what happened in three of these from last week. First off, Geelong, 11-7-73, defeated Brisbane, 6-10-46. We put the big fat texture through Geelong. We crowned Brisbane our premiership favourites. What happened? Well, it is a bit concerning that Brisbane just didn't know what to do when DeLong got on the roll. DeLong stars all stood up as one. Selwood, uh, Hawkins, Danger, Tui, Duncan, uh, Duncan got injured, but men and goals stood up and he got our bet over the line, our best bet. Um, and Gary Ablett as well. All just, just Selwood, all of them just went to town and, and went and... I don't think they liked what happened in the first quarter by Brisbane. So Brisbane, Charlie Cameron, you know, threw a, threw a footy at one of the Geelong boys. Um, I, uh, Cam Rainer decided to give a bit of lip to Paddy Dangerfield, and I think a few of the young Brisbane boys were getting a bit stuck into them. And when you do that to blokes, you can actually play footy, and it probably inspires them and gets them going a bit more than 
than it would if probably four or five years ago. Um, and they just flipped the switch. And it was, a bit, it was very concerning, much like St Kilda, that it's all on their terms. They, they look good. They look dangerous. They score heavily. But when it goes against them, they just don't know how to stop the run. So I don't know whether that's on-field leadership. Even you, know, you look at coaches' boxes when you know, teams get a run and you can see their frustration on the coach's face and anger almost. It's on vague and you just look at this looks at the stress and like, well, what am I what do I do now? Sort of thing. That's I think I mentioned in a chat on on the Thursday night. I was like, he's fagging too nice. Look on his face when when they played gold straight. It was just the like, absolute like shock and you didn't know what to do. It was, if that was Buckley or Scott the other way, that would have been you know, hands over their face, swearing, um, probably throwing a phone, probably, you know, let a few players know what they thought, so. But you're a coach yourself. Do you really, like, you don't, do you blow your lid if you get scored against heavily for a period or, like, because that can't You don't blow your lid. You look for someone on field to step up or you try and make a change or put a couple of players behind the footy. You try and do something to stop the, the carnage. And I, mean, I, didn't see any, I haven't seen any footage of Dan or anything from that game, so I don't know if, or not, but I mean, obviously six 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 doesn't help. It. Even just at stoppages, obviously danger and that were running rampant. So just sending someone to him and just saying, "Look, you need to stop him for five ten minutes. Just try and have an influence." But they just didn't, and then their ball use went to crap, and they stopped taking the game on. And they're, yeah, they're, they're a different side from quarter one. And even in the in the last quarter, they kind of got a bit of a roll on, but the game was already over and cooked. It was just a bit of a way from mine that. They couldn't stop the flow and they couldn't there's just no one field leadership. I mean, Zorko went missing for you know, he was good first quarter, went missing, but then you know, got back in the game probably midway through the third. Lockie Neal didn't really have an impact. Um, you know, Charlie Cameron decided to, you know, he probably sh- he had four kicks to him that he should have marked, but he kind of shirked the issue a bit, I think. Like, you know, his head and kind of worried about contact more than taking the ball. So yeah, there's a few little, I suppose, and I said this earlier in the years, a few little worrying signs about their arrogance because I've seen the lip they gave earlier in the game that might get a bit ahead of themselves. But when you watch how they play against Adelaide two weeks ago, you just can't. It's play that sort of footy. And, and they've also got a bit of a problem in front of goals. They keep missing easy shots. So they kicked something like four goals. I don't think it was the one or two before... Uh, more than their run. But, so they should have been six or seven goals up and the game should have been cooked, but it wasn't. So um, I still wouldn't put a, I'm still not convinced on Geelong and we'll get more of a gauge, I suppose, this next week. week. Um, and then I'm playing a bigger ground at, you know, at the Subiaco, oh, sorry, per stadium now. And they won't get, we did say last week that the ground would probably help Geelong and the history of that set, the history of Geelong at SCG says that and the history of Geelong against Brisbane also says they've got a good, I think 12 out of the last 13 or something. So we'd probably overlook that because it's something we generally stick to. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll be back in Brisbane this week to bounce back. So, uh, yeah. and Geelong, see what happens on, on, on Friday night. Uh, Port, we're just harder at it for longer. Um, we spoke about this last week about how Port will get the ball enough inside their 450 in GWS at the moment. And I was, I've made notes for the game when they're playing this week, but they're just struggling a to get the ball inside 50 and the score this year. So they've only scored over 60 points in the or maybe twice, and definitely once. Around one they did, obviously. I think the only, the only other time they did it was against Hawthorne, but that was still only from 25 inside 50. So they still got out. Hawthorne still had more inside 50s by you know, 15 or 16 in that game as well. So you, you look at their problems there and again how their ball movement was on, uh, on over the weekend and you start to start to worry about where they're going and now there's heaps of media talk as well. But um, yeah, we'll get to that a bit more. And is that, a, do you reckon, is that a coaching director or is that a player's just not being able to pull the trigger themselves? I think it's been a coaching directive because we've noticed it the last three weeks, I think. Mm been a lot more they haven't got the orange tsunami going anymore they're being a lot more careful with the footy they've been um, slow kicking slow a bit like Geelong um, West Coast sort of style footy so possess and kick the footy through because they've got lots of obviously skillful players but I think um, yeah they've lost a bit of that run and yeah they, they just struggle to score at the moment and Cameron hasn't been on you know, he was good a couple of weeks ago when he played right at the ground but 
He wasn't really involved much on the weekend. And Tom Green's at the moment, the only player really inside their fourth fifty looks damaging. So and they had the game on their turns for a little bit too, don't get me wrong, GWS, but Port Adelaide were just harder, more physical, and that surge mentality of style of footy. And to be honest, Port Adelaide probably should have won by more. They kept getting each other's way down that forward line. off and Marshall kept, you know, bringing each other's players across, which is something they need to work through as well because they can figure out how to isolate each other a bit more and players and then naturally gravitate towards Kisten. And I suppose the ball's going to as well because he's such a big bloke. He's having so, so many good marks this year and proven so dominant. But if they can learn to lower their eyes a bit better as well, they're going to find a lot more open targets and stuff like that for 50 mm-hmm. and keep hitting our team's defence guessing, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. On a lighter note, have you ever had a Ken Hinckley moment? I feel like a celebration, but no, I haven't had a Ken Hinckley moment. I've, I tend to... Um, let the players sing the song themselves and I'll get around to all the boys afterwards and I think I've had a few beers with the boys and celebrated that way, I suppose. Um, I know, you know, I have enough players come up to me after games and stuff like that and talk to me, so that's my my method. If we, When we won the granny, I did get involved in the song, I must admit. So. Yeah, time and a place, time and a place. Very good. Last one for our review of round six. The big blue baggers, 16-7-103. They broke the ton, raised the bat, defeated the Western Bulldogs, 7-9-51. So, obviously, the Blues are now premiership favourites, aren't they, Baz? <laughs> they played some good footy and they did it without Crips. So, second time this year, they did it without Crips. And, uh, that's good that they did that, but they've got to back it up again this week. You know, again, we'll go a bit further into that in their, in their preview for this week's game. But uh, they, were, they were too good and... Western Bulldogs were shocking by foot, shocking decisions. Uh, and then I went back and looked at their form and you, you probably, looking back on it, we probably made a mistake last week with Carlton and Doggies. If you go back and look at their form, the, the form lines through Carlton are a lot stronger. We just trusted the Doggies were back and probably didn't look too much into it. And the Doggies still have scoring worries. Even when they were winning games, they're only scoring 60-odd points. So, uh, and, you know, Josh Bruce isn't really... I know he kicked. I know they kicked the score against North Melbourne, but if you look back through the year now, that that's pretty much happening from everyone. And Josh Bruce has a good record against North Melbourne. You know he's kicked five bags of five the last three or four times he's played them. So looking at that, they're struggling a bit going forward, and it continued. And they just got opened up defensively, and they just struggled in the conditions. And Carlton just was there and hungry, and their players it. You probably want to see a bit more consistency out of, you know, like Martin and Mackay and those sorts of boys. They they flicked the switch and Walsh had a, you know, good game as well. I think uh, we made it well known that I thought he made a mistake in picking Walsh at number one, but he uh, answered his critics on uh, Sunday night and hopefully he turns it around as well. Uh, that leads nicely into our tier rankings. As I said before, we're a third of the way through the season. And as we like to do, we like to try and grade teams, basically the don't-go-nears, the 50-50 prospects, and the absolute bank makers. And so in the bottom tier, the teams that we want to steer away from, the obvious choices here are North, Sydney, Frio, and Adelaide. And there's three up for debate here. So do we think that West Coast will bounce back in Perth for the for a series of hub games? And what do we think about Essendon and Melbourne as week-to-week prospects? Essendon and Melbourne depends on who they're playing. Yep. Especially, I, don't think, I don't think their four lines are that good either. They've played one good game against Collingwood. They were unbelievable. They deserve to win that game. Um, they haven't played good footy, I reckon. And they're getting overhyped again a bit as well. And there was talk of Joe Danaher coming back right now. He's out again. He's re-injured his calf. Um, so I'm not really sold on Essendon. And now they're out with no shield as well. So we'll see where they're at this week. Melbourne, uh, I'm going to open up on them a bit later. But spare me all the... What, why are all the commentators that commentate on Fox Blue have this love, love for Melbourne? Because they all used to play for Melbourne, mate. They're not that good. And they're still not that good. They just beat wet, uh, Gold Coast on the weekend. And talking up blokes like Weaver is just a joke. And yeah, look, Gorn and uh, Viney had good games and, you know, they they won just and they got over the line. The truck had, you know, managed and all that sort of stuff. But, oh, geez, they're very overhyped and they're no good. And West Coast will win 
games in Perth, no doubt. They'll finish in the top eight, but they're not a they're not a premiership contender. Yeah. And North so, Sydney, actually North and Sydney and Adelaide can put lines through. They won't. They'll lose more games than win. I think Perth Fremantle. They're still competitive. They're still going to win games here and there. And you just got to be careful depending on who they're playing. You can tip against them. Ah, fair enough. Fremantle, the one to keep an eye on then. All right. In the middle tier, the teams that are basically 50-50 prospects each week and may or may not play finals. And so, again, the obvious choices here are St Kilda, GWS, and probably that's it as obvious choices. And then you have this interesting mix of teams on the slide and teams on the rise. So Gold Coast, Carlton, Hawthorne, the Bulldogs. Which of those four can we trust week to week or is it none? You can trust Carlton to a certain extent, but it's just going to be consistency with them. I think on the, for the last two years in the pot, I, I think I've said 21 to be their season. I'm pretty sure that's what I've been saying. So I reckon they're just this year's going to be their inconsistent year. They're going to pull off wins. They're going to play unbelievable football like they did on Sunday, and then they're going to go to crap the next week. And I, I trust them more so than probably Hawthorne and probably a bit more than Western Bulldogs. Uh, that group and obviously secure GWS and um and Gold Coast. So even Gold Coast, I think they're going to be a bit consistent this year as well. And their litmus test comes this weekend, but you can trust and kill to GWS a lot more than any of the other teams you just mentioned. But Carlton and Gold Coast are way ahead of Hawks and Western Bulldogs at the moment. Yes. Although St Kilda was interesting. If they lose this week, uh, their record away from Marvel isn't that great. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens if they do get done this week. Yeah, lots of lots of question marks, given that a lot of footy will happen interstate. And then the top tier, we've got five teams, two of which you've already put lines through, three of which you've put line throughs, actually. So Port Adelaide and Brisbane are your top two. And then we have Collingwood, Geelong and Richmond. Do we think that yeah. the old guard of the last kind of five years can continue to play good footy in this COVID season? Geelong are always going to be up there, aren't they? Right on the up, they just need to keep injury-free. They're playing good footy. Um, and they've probably got a bit more depth than we realised because they obviously dropped Rockcliffe from the weekend and, and they did a pretty good job with... And Farrell, came, you know, Farrell had a really good game. So they got some younger players coming through. Uh, Brisbane will be fine. Collingwood, it's interesting you say old Barber because a lot of blokes actually picked up on this over the weekend. It was actually how young our list is and how many players we've got under the age of 23 that look to be decent sort of players and we're a couple more coming through Father, Son and Academy. So the future isn't that uh, bleak for Collingham fans that you know, might have, some of them might have thought of. And Richard, I still think you, you, you're probably better than the, the bottom probably 10 teams, but I think on the weekend show that you're still struggling and a few players are out of form and uh, Harvick's obviously under pressure because old Harvick probably... Well, Harvick of winning last year or even earlier this year wouldn't have uh, blown a fuse like he did after the game on Sunday. Um, and even to the point where he realised he stuffed up and rang, tried to ring John Longmire and uh, apologised. And from all reports, that conversation was quite, quite heated from uh, one end and it wasn't Harvick's end. It was uh, Longmire just letting him know uh, who the big boss really is. So... Yeah. Which is funny, the interesting power play there, the coaches, because at the end of the day, Harvey got the point. So I don't see how long Mike can be that upset either. Like you played, you played boring, more... boring football though. Like Sydney did play bad, boring football and they still got beat. So I think you got a couple on the chin, surely, as opposed to telling him who's boss, like I want to play. Well, Harvick's won too. So they didn't play boring football. They, just, they try to counter your style to the best yeah. way to suit to get through the game. They lost two players. They had no defenders and strangely they dropped a little ear. So he, he developed a game style that would keep him in the game and it did. And if Blakey kicks those two goals in the, in the last quarter where he had, you know, last year he would have kicked, it would have been a different result. And if they had probably had took the game on a bit more, that might, still might have been a different result. But they decided to play that slow play and it probably kept him in the game longer, I suppose. Who knows? Richard might have got him on a turnover a few more times, but it was definitely a tactic of John Longmire to keep him in the game and keep it close and hopefully try and pinch it because he didn't have it. I think they had the second youngest team or third youngest team of the round. They don't have the cattle at the moment. And even then, like, you still, still their players have got big question marks on where they're at. Um, but some of the ones have now played probably 25 games. So, yeah, I, 
Oaken Longmire coached really well and Harvick just wasn't happy because his team didn't perform and they didn't win as they should have and he's got players out injured. He's playing a player that's got a broken hand and could still kick but really wasn't marking the ball that well but competed and some players out of form still. But he, you know, Pickett barely got near it and there's a few other players that he's probably going to have to make calls on. So, yeah, it's some interesting times for Richmond, I think. Yeah, as you said, and the Lions threw them. So, you know, forget about them going on a back-to-back in the COVID year. Round seven previews, and last week was tough, but this week looks even tougher with an average expected margin of only eight points per game. So you might say that we're crazy if trying to even predict these games. We are. That's what we've chosen to do. We're going to go through the whole season, win, lose, fail, succeed, and always remember to gamble responsibly because these are unprecedented times. We have plenty of litmus tests, and it starts Thursday night. Geelong are $2.10 outsiders versus Collingwood, who are $1.74 favourites at Optus Stadium in Perth. Footy's world tour continues. Three and a half point line and an over-under of a very paltry 103. And so second versus fifth is usually a blockbuster, but we're probably going to see some chess played on Thursday night, aren't we? Yeah. Just so you know, uh, going into this round, every team that's started in second place has lost. There you go. So tip Collingwood. Tip Collingwood. Um, Can the old guard of Geelong bounce back up two weeks in a row what they produced last week? They need to produce that again to have a chance of beating Collingwood. I think Collingwood needs to learn how to score more than outside the first 10 minutes of the first quarter because that's becoming a big issue for us as well. Mm. Um, Quicker ball movement, we attack through the middle a lot more. We moved the ball forward more as well on the weekend. It gave our fours a lot more looks at the footy, so... Obviously, my check kicked four, and I reckon he would have loved it. Um, you know, we had a few other players kicking goals. I mean, Will Kelly obviously went down injured, and that's not great. And, you know, um, I feel a bit sorry for him, but and he probably looked, to be fair, he looked a lot better than what Mason Cox did uh, in, his, in his first game. So I'm a bit worried about. A bit worried about our forward line still and a bit worried about our score. But obviously, Dugowie comes back. Um, I really like the fact that Elliot and Stephenson played up more around the footy. It just gave us a different dynamic around the stoppages. Mm-hmm. Elliot did it quite well. So what's going to happen with Dugowie when he comes back? I reckon him and Dugowie will swap a lot more and just create a bit more headaches without continually rolling around in our forward line. For me, I was long. In the ruck, we should bloody own them. Like, if we don't own them in the ruck and around the stoppages, we should really... Our midfield's been getting beaten, but we're, we're very good against Hawthorne, but we need to be back that up again. And, and you uh, should, can, given the stats. So Geelong are ranked 17th for uh, centre clearances. They only score from 31% of their centre clearances. And then um, they've also won 30, first possession only 38% of the time in, at stoppages. So they get smashed at the contest and in the ruck. And so with Grundy, you think that surely... That's basically a game set match. You would, you would have thought that you have such a, an unprecedented uh, advantage over them in the middle that you just should be a Collingwood win. What worries me though is apparently there's going to be a lot of rain. A lot of rain. Yeah, 10 to 20 mil apparently. Now, we saw what happened last time we played in the wet against Essen. We got out hunted, we fluffed around with the ball too much, and us. Going forward as well with playing Mason Cox. We used to see what our teams are like, but I'm, I'm hoping that we can get the job done. And I had a bit of a prop bet for this game as well because uh, obviously Troy and Adams have, are averaging over 25 touches a game this year already. And they both averaged close to 30 against Geelong as well in the last five times they've played. And to get, if you get both of them over, Troy over 25 and Adams over 20, you're getting about $2.60, $2.70, same game multi. You could obviously roll that into Collingwood to win as well. You're going to get about four or five bucks. So I thought that was a pretty good bet. But uh, I'll be tipping Collingwood, hoping that we learn from our uh, Essendon game what to do in the wet and we're just too hard and our little forwards are too dynamic and uh, too good on the ground and, and get the job done. Yep, not hard to disagree with that. And I'll be going back to the money-making bank for this game, which is, of course, Collingwood to win the first quarter, Collingwood to win head-to-head and the unders. Eight of the last 
Oh, sorry. Each of the last nine games between Geelong and Collingwood have gone under the match point line. It's going to piss down with rain. You said 20 mils there. That's obviously an unders game, even at 103. And Collingwood should basically do what they've done all this season and try and win it early and then just park the bus. Friday night, 7.50. Essendon are $1.84. Basically 50-50 game here with Western Bulldogs, $1.96. Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. The over-under here is at 125. And obviously, Bombers are now being touted as Premiership Smokies after their gutsy efforts. Every game they've won since the restart uh, has been by a margin of 15 points or fewer. So they're gutsing games out, something that the old Bombers didn't do. Meanwhile, the Bulldogs had their three-match winning streak ended by the Blues by the hand of 52-point drumming. Can we read anything out of those two form lines, really? What I can say is Doggies have scored 34 points, 49 points, 57 points. 67 was against uh, Sydney, who we know are depleted. They scored 57 as well against GWS and they beat. So they beat GWS and they beat Sydney. We know, look at the form. GWS haven't been going that well. Um, they're struggling to score as well. And, and Sydney obviously depleted with numbers and injuries. They then scored 87 against North, and we just spoke about that before. And then last week, they went back to their old ways, scoring only 50 points. Essendon, on the other hand, I mean, obviously, they're not, they're not scoring. They're not getting any, no Joey, no Stringer. Um, they're going to have no Dylan Shield. And they're the same. They're definitely scoring. You know, they're only scoring around the 50, 60 points as well. You know, I think that the highest score this year has been, uh, might have been against Sydney earlier in the year when they... Again, we know how that's going with Sydney. They're, they're a bit depleted. So I'm probably going to tip the doggies just because I'm happening to bounce back a bit. They're going to be a bit hurt after this. And they do have a good bounce back rate. They generally do bounce back pretty well. Essendon, they've had one good win this year. And I, I don't really rate who they've beaten and how they've won games. So I'm going to back the doggies to, or not back them, but tip the doggies to win. But I really like a bet here. And this is probably going to pop up in my feature bets. So obviously, McRae and Hunter are back. Uh, both, back, both back playing together. Now, we know how much they rack them up generally. They both racked them up last week. Essen generally our midfielders are their type to get off the chain a bit as well. With no shield in that midfield, it's going to you know, probably make it a bit more one-way traffic in that sort of sense. And if they get their game going, McCray and Hunter will get over 25 each. And it's $5 for them in the same game multi for both of them to be um, over 25 each. So I reckon that's pretty good value. I think we all got sucked back into the dogs a bit with the four Carlton game. Like I said, they only beat North Sydney and a, a GWS who did have injuries that night as well. So they've had three wins against probably three of the, you know, they've got GWS at the right time and North and Sydney aren't that great. So have we been sucked into them? Who knows? But I'm going back. So I think the jury conditions suit the dogs here as well because the Bombers are a back half team. So they lead the competition in disposals in their defensive 50 which means obviously the ball's in their defensive 50. That's how they like to do the slingshot. doesn't really work in the wet conditions. And also history's on our side here as well. So the Bombers are on a five-match losing streak against the Dogs. And of course, they got done by 100 points last year in this encounter. So I think the tip there is the Dogs, but I wouldn't be doing a head-to-head bet on this one either. Saturday at 1.45, the Giants are $1.72 favourites against Brisbane at Giants Stadium. The line here is four and a half, the over-under 129. Now, the Giants are still equal premiership favourites after six rounds, but both teams are coming off a loss. Can we expect the Giants to replicate Geelong's safe footy and stifle the Young Lions? No, because I thought Geelong took it on a bit more. I don't reckon they played that safe until they got well in front and they slowed it through. They definitely took the game on a bit more, Geelong, I reckon. And GWS, so their inside 50 count was... They're getting beaten every week. And it's only in the... I mean, I know it's a shortened season, but they've only had, what, 37, 26 and 31 in the last three weeks. And their scoring is it's well down. And that's why I tipped Port last week. So I just thought that Port would score more and they'll get a lot more inside 50s. And even though uh, Brisbane got thumped on the weekend, they still manage a lot of inside 50s. And I reckon they're just going to have too much going forward again for GWS. If they, if they are allowed to back themselves in and get back. And I reckon last week's going to hurt a bit Brisbane and they'll probably bounce back a bit harder early, especially. And GWS have been under the pump, so you know they're going to bounce back. That's what they tend to do. It's these sorts of games that GWS tend to come out and um, stifle a win. But I just I can't see how a Brisbane team with that much power and that much 
ability to move the ball as quickly as they can and, and score as quickly as they can and damage. Like they had four goals eight, you know, pretty much early in the second term against Geelong. They just couldn't really put them away. So if they can keep it and I'll blow Jerry's out early and Jerry's won't be able to keep up. They won't be able to score enough. Um, and I just reckon yeah, Brisbane are going to bounce back pretty pretty heavily here. And if they play that safe style and they turn it over, then even then, like, yeah, I just... I think Brisbane are a pretty good side. I know I raised my concerns about what they were doing last week and the week before, and they still managed to get the job done against Port, and they did it pretty comfortably. And look at that form line, Port, you know, pretty comfortably over GWS. So I'm uh, tipping Brisbane, and I reckon GWS uh, has scored under 60 points, $2.37. Yeah, not too bad at all. And the stats back you up again with your analysis, which is uh, very quite confusing because it was a long period there where the stats would always contradict you. But now we're on the same path here. So the Giants, not only do they play safe footy, but they play back half footy. And so they've lost the time in forward half differential by eight, eight minutes every game. They're ranked second last in the AFL. Um, and they also don't have that many intercept possessions in their front half. So they can't, they can't maintain field, field position and they can't also maintain possession, whereas, the, whereas Brisbane love that. So they love having the footy in their forward half. They love pressuring. They lead the competition in tackles per inside 50. They lead the competition in disposals to inside 50 ratio. They love to go forward. They love to hunt. They love to press. And as you said, they should get over the top of the Giants here. And with Brisbane paying $2.10, that looks like the, one of the better bets of the weekend. Saturday at 4.35, Sydney are $2.15 outsiders to the Gold Coast or $1.68 favourites at the SCG. The line here is a goal. The over-under, one twenty-four. The Swans are beat up. Their players are out of form. Their players are having to play defensively at a necessity whilst the Suns are losing some of their shine, losing two on the trot and giving us a sense of deja vu. This is what the Suns do. They win early. They fade late. Is the Gold Coast style sustainable? So they love to score from clearance, but if you block that up, there's not many other other natural avenues to goal for the Suns. The last two weeks and then the games, just poor little mental lapses with 50-metre penalties, free kicks, um... Shots on goal. Like even in their last quarter against Melbourne, Rankin had probably three shots of goal that, you know, he missed quite easily. And then there's another, I think uh, there was two shots as well that really were going to haunt them is the, both the captains, Took Miller and um, Jared Witts had easy shots, 25 metres, pretty much directly in front, and they both missed them. I think that it was at times when you they were gaining momentum, you need to make the most of it, especially Sean Coyles. If you've got momentum, you need to make the most of it. And I think... I really do believe Melbourne were quite lucky to get away with it on the weekend. Like, I know I've got a bit of Melbourne hate, but for me watching that game and, and even going through the highlights again, I, I can't believe that how the commentators overhyped their win when really Gold Coast probably should have won and we should have been a lot closer. Um, if they can get that right, and look, to be honest, they should be favourites for this game. They are, and they won SCG two years ago. They're... It's interesting to see how they handle the pressure of going into the game that they know they should be winning. Mm. And to me, how Stewie do, and you know, you used to coach on the long a lot. He's assistant for a long time, so they're going to know each other pretty well and what they're going to what's going to try. But but I can't see how City can go into a game again, especially if it's in decent conditions, which I think it is, with no tools whatsoever. When they've got um, some pretty exciting forwards down there, we saw King. You know, nearly tear apart Fremantle in you know two and a half quarters, but just couldn't quite. He had a nearly game and he kicked two goals fair, one goal four or something like that against Fremantle, where he could have had a bag of six before half time. The King from Gold Coast could do the same this week, and you got Rankin and their few. Ferroni kicked a few really nice goals on the weekend, and um, the other players are just roaming around that forward line that are quite dangerous, and the midfielders getting on top of games and they're quite tough and hard and. You know, with no Kennedy as well for Sydney, no Heaney. I just don't know where their goals are. Who's their kick to score for Heaney? Uh, for Sydney, sorry. So, Gold Coast for me, definitely. And I looked at the 1 to 39, I thought that even might be in danger. So, I thought 1 to 39 points, $2 for Gold Coast, but you probably even throw a fiver on them at 40 plus. There you go. That's a bold, really bold reckon, tip. I reckon Gold Coast, Gold Coast should win, and it's probably the safest tip of the weekend. That's probably. I know I'm going hard there, but I, I'm 
From what I'm seeing at Gold Coast, apart from probably the quarter and a half an inch long where they got blown out a bit, every game this year, you, you know what you're going to get. Sydney are probably very, or oh, not probably, they are very undermanned. So I just reckon they've got them covered in all aspects. And another little interesting uh, tidbit there would be that Sydney has not won a first quarter this season. So to add more value to your Gold Coast tip, you can go Gold Coast to win the first and then Gold Coast to win head-to-head. And that would give you a bit more value in this one as well. All right, Sunday at 3.35, Hawthorne are $1.75 favourites against Melbourne, who are $2.08 outsiders at Giant Stadium. The line here, four and a half, you're over under 127. And this is a potential loser leaves town match. The Hawks are at a crossroad, back-to-back 30-plus losses against GWS and Collingwood. But now they have the respite of playing a demon side, which quite frankly, isn't that good. So how do you split two average sides, Baz? They've, they've reviewed a lot about Melbourne this week after they're winning. They said that, you know, all the, um, all the, you know, all the, you know, was hitting targets out of the stoppage, you know, Jack Biney was making better decisions. Uh, you know, their forward line was a lot dysfunctional, better, all that sort of thing. Now, during the game, they put up a few times the average, the pressure ratings. It was below average a lot of the game or av- just on average. So there obviously wasn't a lot of, um, pressure put on the ball carriers around the, around the stoppages, and it, it, I mean it shows the one just the one percent of stats at the moment I've, I've got up. Um, the average is forty for Melbourne, and only had thirty-four. And, and, and there was a lot of intercept possessions, so it was high high for both teams. So it was, just shows you that both teams were turning over the footy a fair bit. So even though they said that they, you know. They looked better going inside 50 and they made the most of their, you know, forward entries and stuff like that and around the grounds. They still butchered the footy a lot throughout the game. Um, and then even, even then, like, Melbourne had one of their season highs in turnovers. So the game was 66. So that, they just they just pretty much beat up Gold Coast around the stoppages and made the most of it. So they got they having a clearance. So they finally made do a good use of uh, Gorney's ruck work they started saying Lee was back in form. I think he had four and set marks to spam um, How can you go back to the Hawks again? Because they just have to be better than Melbourne, though. Isn't the so I think Hawks' biggest issue at the moment is their, their back line. I don't think you keep going with McAvoy, Sicily, um, oh, the guy from Melbourne as well, Frost. I don't think you can keep going with those sorts of players. And Frawley, like that's four tools, and clearly Collingwood um, earmarked that. And they spoke about the catch that we just want to lower our eyes and hit up players because they, we knew they couldn't go with us. Mm-hmm. So they've got to make changes there, and um, they need something. I reckon McAvoy just has to go back in the ruck, especially this game against Gorn. He just has to go back in the ruck. That guy hasn't been good. He, I know they signed him to a deal and he, they didn't trade him, but he's he's probably got the one that's got to I reckon a few of their senior blokes got to make way as well and just. Throw, throw the kids in, but I want to tip the Hawks because I just have this feeling they're going to bounce back because they've had two pretty poor weeks. They haven't really done much of the footy. They've been pretty slow and, and turning the ball over and they've been belted back, back, around the stoppages. And Yago Amiri has been quiet, so Scully. Um, and they probably do a big game and, you know, even Gunston. So, but Melbourne, you know, they were good last week and, um, you know, their, their better players stood up. They, I wouldn't say that's good. They got the job done. They did what they needed to do. But again, after they, I know they jumped on Harley Bennell and they celebrated his guy after he had a tough week. But before he kicked that, they were high-fiving and, and celebrating on the bench. You know, they had a win. So I hope not getting ahead of themselves, you know, celebrating a, a win like that over Gold Coast like they did because it, it just, just goes back to what they do every other time and they come out and get fun. So... Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to tip Hawthorne just because I can't see how Hawthorne won't bounce back from what they discussed last week. Yep. Uh, or to be fair. And Melbourne, I'm still, you still can't trust them. You still can't trust they're going to make the right decisions going forward. They're still going to butcher the footy. They're not going to overuse the footy. I'm just going to back in the Hawks. be a bit more damaging, a bit more attacking with the footy and Melbourne just to be Melbourne. Yeah, 100%. As the theme has been all night, the stats back you up. 
So Melbourne, not only are they terrible, they are ranked last in inside 50 efficiency. They literally cannot score, but they also have no forward pressure. So they're ranked in the bottom four for tackles per inside 50 as well. So the ball will just go in and then come out and then Hawthorne can set their players up and have play very methodical rebound football. Um, probably harder. It's, it's hard to pick a head-to-head winner still, but the obvious choice here is the unders because Hawthorne's inside 50 efficiency is also very low. And so that's probably the safest bet is tip the unders, tip a bad game, tip footy to be broken after this one as well. But um, probably Hawthorne to win, but the unders is my bet. And speaking of bad games, in come our now four tip and forget games, starting with Saturday, 7.40, Richmond, $1.56 favourites against North Melbourne, $2.38 outsiders. They're playing at Metricon, the line here, nine, the over-under, 124. And will every team now just flood the back line against Richmond, Baz? Uh, I'm just going to tip Richmond and leave this one alone and never speak about it again. There you go. Back to the old days that we don't speak about North Melbourne. Well, they were pretty ordinary again on the weekend. Uh, should be winning this game. And 100%. 100%. And if, if North even try to flood, the worst part about it is that they rank last in all of those tactics. So they rank last in uh, intercept marks. They rank last in intercept possessions. So even if they play one behind the football, it won't matter because they won't intercept anyway. It's not their style. So they can't even replicate... They allow your half... Your forward's right really high and try and get over the back sort of thing. Yeah. Mentality, frontal pressure. So what, they, what they're doing is they're allowing the forwards to roll up to the, the stoppage or roll up to the ball. And what the defenders do, they just sag off. So if the ball was... They're hoping there's enough pressure on the ball carrier to kick it forward... Yep. Or rush kick it. And dunk kick it, that, yep. Yeah, dunk kick it and, and not have the numbers at the, the, the next contest to win the ball and run it away. But then obviously, if your forwards, which they're taught very well, go straight back into the zone or, or defence, stop Sydney's ball movement. It was Even if they went to go quick, you generally were pretty well set up behind the ball as well. So that's that's won't be flooding. It'll just be a certain tactic. But I don't know whether Reshaw will try that. I reckon he'll try and beat you in his own game and, and probably give the boys a bit more of a talk about it before, a bit more uh, freedom to play and I just don't think they're good enough. So I'm tipping Richmond and uh, I probably won't even watch that game, to be honest. That's, 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 the, that's the good thing. If you think games will be a bad game of football, just don't watch it. Don't, don't, say they've got, don't say that football's broken, just turn it off and watch a good game instead. Sunday at 105, Carlton at $2.76 outsiders despite being flag favourites against Port Adelaide, who are $1.43 favourites at the Gabba. The line here is three goals. The over-under, a whopping 132 in these corona-affected times. And although that Blues are obviously the talk of the town after their 52-point win against the Dogs, Port Adelaide have won their last three against the Blues and I love playing footy in Queensland. Is this any chance of a Blues upset here, Baz? Carlton, they're winning games they should be winning now. And you can tip them confidently against teams that are below them. There's, you know, probably five or six. They're not quite there yet with these sorts of games. So I think Port Adelaide were very good last week. Uh, they'll be good again this week. And I think you'll see another tactic from like what St Kilda did a couple of weeks ago with a few of the defenders, Doherty and Simpson. You know, they've got plenty of small, dangerous forwards for Adelaide and they'll make them accountable and, uh, Dick, Dixon's going to be, you know, take, need, need to take a lot of stopping and you know, obviously Marshall. So you've got the matchups there with, with Jones and, and all that. But And I think if the Parade defence mans up pretty well on the Carlton forwards. And again, it's the Carlton forwards need to be able to back up that pressure in their game. So whether Mackay, McGovern, uh, Betts, or Betts is pretty proven, but and Martin need to back up from what we did last week. And then the midfield needs to find something to cover for Cripps if he's missing. And I think um, Mark Murphy's out as well. So, you know, they, they lose a couple of really good players and a bit more leadership and seniority. And I think Port is just going to be way too good. And now, you say Port's going to be way too good, but Carlton has only, has only won one fewer quarter than Port Adelaide and Brisbane this year in terms of total quarters won. How many games are Carlton won, mate? I'm just saying, just because you haven't won the game doesn't mean you're not off, not, not too far off the mark. You're giving Fremantle earlier in the pot a little bit of a pass because they're, we thought yeah, they were worth... I've given Carlton a pass. I've said they're, they're better than probably six or so teams below them and they yeah. can start tipping confidence. Um, but they're a pass, but they're not near Port's level. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I'll tip Port. It's, it's not a betting game. And 
if Porter seriously win this game, and you know what part will probably buddy come out and win now, and I'm gonna look like a dickhead, but I'm tipping Port, and I think Porter too good. And you know, Carlton will definitely win their eight or nine games this year. They might even just sneak into the finals because they they'll play enough teams that are worse than them. But yeah, they're not they're not gonna beat your Port, your Ports, your Brisbane, your Collingwoods, your well, they beat the long because you're on the no good. So. So I've got a quirk to finish off this game for you. So Carlton has the highest kick-to-handball ratio in the AFL, but they have yep. the third-worst kicking efficiency. Why would you coach yep. it that way? I reckon, I, I, from what I've heard of Teague say, he's, and it's been back up in the media, he is still coaching or he is a interim coach. So a bit like what I was saying, they've, got, they've definitely got methods and uh, setups those sorts of things around the ground. But he's also letting them play with freedom and just, you know, the, the non-negotiables of defence and uh, effort, stuff like that. And then if you get the ball and you want to express yourself, express yourself, take the game on. I think that's the sort of thing. And I think that's why their kick handball ratio is so high because they're just definitely trying to take the game on a bit more. So if, if, if Port bring their, their, you know, their pressure and put them under the pump and especially frontal pressure because they'll try and take the game on, then... You know, they're going to turn over the footy and have a lot more chances of scoring. What I did notice against the Doggies a lot was they did uh, push, which is what I said to during a chat, funnily enough, which you were a part of when why City didn't try and do this against Richmond was that they pushed really high up the ground, their half forwards, and they left probably one deep, which was generally Mikhail Levi. And then they just tried to get it over the back as much as they possibly could and kick it the space and put the Doggies under pressure. So, if they try and do that against Port, I think Port are probably smart enough to set up for that and they're not going to play as a ground level. There's only the Doggies for a man defensively down there, a couple of kids, you know, playing their first, second, third games. So, um, yeah, I think Port just can cover that and I think Port will be too good. I win, I win comfortably, I reckon. Hard to disagree with you on that one. All right, heading into the final two games of the weekend, Sunday at 6.35, it's a Western Derby. Fremantle, $3 outsiders, the West Coast Eagles, $1.38 favourites at Optus Stadium. Line here is three goals, the over-under, 125. The Dockers have a nine-match losing streak in Derby's Baz. Can they jump one on the Eagles? Oh, I'm going to tip West Coast just because they're back. Apparently. Everyone's telling me they're back. There's still a chance to win the flag. They've got all these home games and they probably have a home grand final, blah, blah, blah. So West Coast, if you're as good as what everyone's saying you are and you want to back this up, your time is now. So I'm going to tip you this week. And if you lose, watch out next week because Baz is in a blower lid. I'll be telling everyone I told you so. So here's your, here's your chance. I'll, I'll tip West Coast just for the pure fact that Pop's not playing and well, apparently he's not playing West Coast probably still have enough talent to beat. And a few of the younger players, the younger tools, Oscar Allen and stuff like that are stepping up. So that's good to see. And I think Nick Nats have a field day in the ruck as well. So Yeah, in terms got- of hit-outs advantage, it could almost just be Nick Nat Eagles, Eagles win. So Nick Nat is getting uh, 13 more hit-outs per game than the combined Fremantle Dockers uh, Ruckman. And that's resulting in eight more clearances per game for the Eagles uh, midfield competitor Dockers. So pretty much yeah, game over Kelly, from the get-go. Yeah, Elliot Yo and Tim Kelly are going to love being back at the as well. So a little to see what Tim Kelly is playing over 20 or maybe 25 possessions because he's due a good game. He's going to be back home with his family and in, in comfortable and, and familiar environment. So you might pull his finger out. Um, I think West Coast is still a top eight side, and I don't think Fremantle are there yet. So West Coast is still a better team and should have them covered. So I'm tipping West Coast. I won't be having a bet. I might look at the props depending on how my weekend's travelling. Yep, sounds good. And then your weekend will lead into Monday night next week, Baz. 7.40, Adelaide, $3.08 outsiders against St Kilda, $1.36 favourites at the Adelaide Oval. The line here is three goals, the over-under one twenty-two. And is there any reason to watch this game on Monday night, Baz? Um, depending on what, what the state of the game the cricket's in, probably maybe. Um, do you, do you, I'm going to tip the Saints, don't get me wrong. 
that you oh, have to. You have to. Adelaide rank last <laughs> on everything. They stink. They they are poor. They're, they are they are very poor. They are substandard. They are really bad, aren't they? Yeah, I'm tipping the Saints, but I, I have this little feeling in my gut that, that Adelaide might make it a good game. Just because it's at the Adelaide Oval, just because it's the gut. What's the go there? Um, back at Adelaide Oval, um, I'm just. Oh, oh, it was a boy. Like, they play really good, attractive football, and you look at them and go, "Wow, they could they could really cause some teams issues going deeper into the finals." But and they just play some really shit football where they just don't look like they're up to it and they turn the footy over, a few players realise, like, like players go missing, like even Hill, like as good as he is and has been, like he just didn't get a touch or anywhere near it on the weekend and I think you've got to play a certain style for him to get it as well, so I mean, he pretty much just runs up and down a wing, doesn't really go and get his own footy a lot, so if they're not on top of that sort of that part of their game the Rockman last week had a crack at um, at Nick Nat, but he actually came out and played a pretty good game stuck with the rest of the team and you know Ryan Marshall is a pretty good backman so you know probably even self out but you know if it's if they get enough inside ball out of way they, they might trouble him a bit so I don't know I just had a feeling that it might be a bit more competitive than We'll give him credit for it. And, and as you know, it generally takes, you know, to middle of the year. I know it's a shortened season, so it kind of is middle of the year when the team that's the worst in the competition generally nags their first win. So, Do you believe in voodoo's as well, Baz? Why is that? Well, Adelaide are on a 10-match winning streak against St Kilda and they've won their last nine by by four goals or more. Yeah. And St Kilda are a different team this year. They're coached by a different coach. And you, you expect them to go out and win from what we've seen in St Kilda, but... There's just something in the waters that says that this could be a lot closer. And I'll tell you what, if, if I had a good week on the pun, I might just chuck it. Because Adelaide would be at stupid odds. I don't even look at the odds of this game. I'm just yeah. running because Saints need to win this. Otherwise, serious questions will be asked about you know them winning away from Marvel and whether, where they're actually really at. So but they've, gone, they've gone and deliberately targeted um, players to bring into their club to make them competitive and start to build that list. And you know, we're starting to see... See, so yeah, they're going to get better and better, but they lose to Adelaide and they probably might all cost themselves finals all of a sudden. So it's going to be a log jam from that, you know, probably six to ten spot. So you don't want to be dropping games, you shouldn't. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. Watch this space, Sincota fans. Everyone's favourite time, feature bets for round seven. Baz, hit us up with your best bet for the weekend. Surely Brisbane bounce back and make up for last weekend's debacle at $2.10. That's my best. Sounds good. Stole my one, so I've got to back up instead. Gold Coast to win the first by, first quarter by one and a half points is paying $1.97 against the Swans, who have not won a first quarter all season. What's your value play for the weekend, Baz? Uh, my value, I kind of went over it before with uh, Chalor and Adam. So Adam Chalor get 25 or more. Taylor Adams get 20 or more. Collingwood head-to-head in the same game multi. If you're $4, if you power play that, you probably get about 440 450 So I reckon that's a pretty good bet. Hopefully kind of get the job done and uh, the boys get those touches. And if you go, like I said, the last five games they've played on average and – the year they've had so far, then all they're going to do is do the average and I get those touches. Lovely. I'm going back to the Gold Coast Suns and my value bet, which is going to be Gold Coast to win head-to-head plus to win the first quarter with a power boost will be about $3, depending on your bookie. And what's your rough action, Baz, for round seven? Going back to the prop bets. Um, so I already mentioned before, again, going back to last five times they've played, Hunter and McRae have racked up plenty of touches against Essendon. And so far this year, they've both racked up, again, plenty of touches. And again, if they get their average for this year and what they average against Essendon, over 25 touches, both of them. And under 
because we know about the doggy scoring woes and we know Essendon won't score highly either. So the total match points is 125. So we go under that. Same game multi, three legs, $9.50. Thank you very much. I'll be having a piece of that. And uh, for those that follow us on Twitter, I did give out the big Moz warning, but I think it's going to come true again. So I'm going back to the well with Collingwood to win the first quarter, Collingwood to win head-to-head and under the total match points. At the moment, that is, that's had a 200% return on investment this year. So I'm going back to it again at $4.75 against the Geelong Cats on Thursday night. So that brings us to the end of our first uh, isolated episode of What Are The Odds for this COVID 2020 season. How did you find it, Baz? Did we go okay? I think we did all right. Um, I'm not you looking at me constantly giving me the wind-up or anything, so I don't know how that goes. But And switching between screens is with the – I had your head there, so it made it a bit different. But uh, I reckon we'll get better as we keep going because obviously we're here for another five weeks at least. So Yeah. We adapt. That's what good teams do. Good teams adapt, and uh, hopefully we're a good team. And if you want to send us your picks, send us your tips, or give us some feedback, it's best to do that on Twitter at W-A-T-O-S-Pod, what are the odds pod. And uh, if you made us some cash, then uh, give us a bit of a like and a review on uh, whatever podcast player you choose.